0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, October 31st, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, happy Halloween.
1: Very good. Thank you, Graham. Happy scary (laughs) Halloween to you.
0: (laughs) So how are things going overall with you?
1: Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Very good.
0: Yeah. So I'm kind of excited because the Phillies are in the World Series, although by the time this airs, they might be already down two games to none in this (laughs) best-of-seven series. But maybe we'll get a Halloween miracle. We'll see. Um, They're coming back to Philadelphia to start their leg of the series at home uh, today. So What sport is this? (laughs) It's kind of like cricket, but Ah, better. Okay, very good. Yeah. Uh, All right, so um, I did, you know, when we talked last week, we were talking about... Uh, the whole prime minister situation in the UK. And I just wanted to mention that, you know, since we last uh, got together, they've named Rishi Sunak uh, as as prime minister and that he is a Stanford GSB graduate. And I don't know if you've heard this, but one of his first orders of business was to ask every citizen of the UK to take some time over the weekend and contemplate what matters most to you and why. Have you heard that?
1: You gotta love it. You gotta love it. <laughs>
0: But you know, uh, yeah.
1: joking apart, and I think that was a really good um, <laughs> segue. But but I, I'm I'm a huge fan. I really hope he sorts our situation out, or at least you know I feel a little bit more confident in in his leadership.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah. So, and his wife also went to Stanford. So they I think they met there, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a nice story. Um, so. Before we dive into things, since it's Halloween and people in America, at least, and, and maybe a bit in the UK, celebrate, um, I wanted to share a scary story. And so to get to this scary story, we've got to go all the way back to the year 2005 when um, you know schools were sort of in the early phases of using online applications. And the admissions process itself was quite different in that you would apply and interview invites would trickle out but often right up until the deadline date. So if you applied in round two in January, you wouldn't get a final or any word from the school really often until late March. And and so this kind of really painstaking process, but lo and behold, um, Harvard and some other schools were using this online application software made by apply yourself, which don't know that it exists anymore, but in any event, somebody realized that if you logged into your system uh, to your online application, you could actually see the decision because many of these schools were actually making decisions behind the scenes, right? They would read your file, reject you, put it into the system, and and then just sit on it for a couple of months before they would tell you the result. And so um, someone figured out that if you went into your account, you could just see the result by adding um, a little string of of stuff to the URL, um, which included like the words decision and question mark. And, <laughs> and so um, in any event, a bunch of students, I guess the hacker, if you want to call them a hacker, posted this sort of secret to an online forum. I don't know if it was Reddit or Business Week or whatever, but somebody posted it and a bunch of students uh, started to peek, and they could see, oh, I've, I've been rejected actually. So um, the only problem was that, you know, the software company caught on to it and, and Harvard and other schools that use the system found out. And there were 119 students who uh, peaked at their results for HBS that year, and this is where things get scary. HBS actually decided um, to roundly just reject anyone who, you know, typed in this extra code to the URL and took a peek. Um, And so all these, there were 119 students, they were all, or or candidates, they were all rejected. Now, some of them might have been rejected anyway, but there were some in the group who had been admitted, and they were all just... basically uh, removed from the process and, and other schools like Stanford, Duke, et cetera, followed in their, um, you know, in, in the path because all of them had record of which students had actually gone into their file and tried to look. I'm not sure how that worked, but anyway, this was pretty scary for those students and um, they became known as the infamous HBS 119. So kind of a spooky admission story on this Halloween day. I don't know. Do you have a, an, an opinion about this? Because I mean, they were, the students were referred to as hackers um, and, you know, I just, it's kind of an interesting thing. There was a lot of debate at the time, but it, it is kind of a, a scary end to their application process.
1: Yeah, I actually believe that the, the the term hacker has been sort of abused and actually reflects cracking rather than hacking. Hacking is a creative um, um, endeavor, or at least that was its original um, mm-hmm. um, term. This was a very poor decision on the part of HBS it, the, the, the system, apply yourself or whatever, completely lacks security, so that's an issue in of itself. But to take that yeah. sort of um, unilateral decision or whatever you want to call it, um, to all 119, that was not Harvard's best moment in MBA admissions. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of their process and the leadership in that admissions office over a lot of years, but that was a, 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 a low point.
0: Yeah, and actually, um, before we move on, I'll say that, you know, the one good thing that came out of this scary story is that the schools involved actually changed their process. So not only did they make things more secure, but they actually changed the way they do things so that now when you apply to Harvard and they come up with internal decisions about rejections, they tell you pretty much within a a handful of weeks of application because they have a date where they say, we're going to get all the interview invites out at once. And if you're not invited, you're either waitlisted and they'll tell you, or you're most likely rejected. So it actually changed the system, um, which I think was, you know, was obviously for the better. But yeah, what an interesting kind of uh, thing. Anyway, that's back. So, so enough of the Halloween stuff. Um, I do want to wish everyone luck who's working on their interviews. Um, you know I, know, I know there's still some interviews going on for round one. We have a ton of resources on the site, the best of which is Clear Admit Plus, and you can sign up for Clear Admit Plus by going to bit.ly forward slash Clear Admit Plus, all one word, all lowercase. Um, we have a bunch of good content on the website, there's been a handful of real humans that we've published, and they're all uh, acronym schools. So there's UMD Smith, UGA Terry, IMD in Lausanne, and UNC Keenan Flagler. So we have all these student profiles for those programs. If you're interested in applying to those schools, this is kind of must read stuff. We also sat down with Melissa Rapp from Emory uh, Guizetta. And she, I love Melissa, she has been in this industry for a long time. She used to work in admissions at Kellogg and you know she you know she, she mentioned that she feels like the Gazetta admissions team you really if you're an applicant you need to view them as your team and that you know they're super accessible and responsive and that she tries to be really tailored um they even run these i guess they run these um where is it she talked about how they run uh these sessions called get it done 101 and they literally will do kind of webinars with prospective candidates to sort of walk through the applications and the different components and just make sure that everyone knows what they need to do to submit their best application. So, um, good read. If you've got time to head over to the website and check that out. Um, we also had an employment report from Emory that was published and Alex, I told you before we came on air that the starting salary for Emory grads in the class of uh, 22 was $165,000 on average. And that's up from 135. So big number there. Um, The 98% of their graduates had jobs within three months of graduation, and the biggest sector that they went into was consulting with 55%, then financial services with 16%, tech 13%, healthcare 8%, and consumer packaged goods 3%. Uh, Candidates tended to land in the South, so 66% of the candidates graduating ended up in the South, uh, about 18% in the Northeast. And then 7% out to the West Coast and just small numbers, 3% in both, in all of the Mid-Atlantic, uh, the wa- the Midwest and the Southwest, they each got 3%. So um, that's kind of the profile there. Any thoughts, Alex, on Emory's kind of placement stats?
1: Yeah, well done to Emory. That average starting salary is exceptional, um, especially yeah. for a program in their tier. Um, it's, it's clear that the reason for that large starting salary is average salary is going to be that sort of representation of consulting at 55% of the class going into consulting. We know they're a high paying um, industry. So, you know, there's there's a a quick tip for schools. If you want to increase your average starting salary, increase the proportion of your candidates (laughs) going into consulting, that makes a lot of sense. And also, obviously they're heavily favored to candidates that want to work and, and sort of be in the South. Um, so yeah. very regionally um, focused, but yeah, outstanding for Emory, I would say.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to pull out is that the healthcare number, 8%, is actually relatively high um, for most of the schools that we tend to talk about. So it seems like there's a lot of healthcare activity happening probably in, in that region and they're sending people into that field a bit. So that's kind of nice to see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Probably directly in Atlanta.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that too. Yeah. So the other um, tidbit I wanted to share from the site before we move into this week's candidates is the, that MIT published their class profile. So incoming class, they've, they've shared some of the numbers there. And as you would expect, everything looks pretty um, stellar. I mean, the average GPA was a 3.62. The average GMAT, a 730. These numbers are very similar to last year. Um, with the GRE, the... <laughs> They don't give you an average. They tell us that it's the quantitative section anywhere between 158 and 169 and the verbal between 157 and 168. Those are the um, middle 80 percentiles uh, for those two. Um, So, you know, it's hard to sort of figure that out. I did a little bit of math and came up with the idea that it probably means that the average is somewhere around a 326. uh, So that's kind of where it falls. Um, They had 46% women, which was actually up 2%. And they had 40% international, which was down 3%. Uh, Underrepresented minorities amongst their U.S. population of students are 32%, so that's a really good number. And the last thing I wanted to mention is they had 408 students in this class. And the reason I mention that is because last year they had 450, and the year before that they had 484. So any thoughts on this, Alex? I mean, they have a shrinking class size, it seems.
1: Yeah, again, as we talked before we came on air, I've not heard that they were deliberately reducing their class size. So let's assume they weren't deliberately reducing their class size. There's one way to maintain the high quality of the class profile, which you've expressed, i.e., great female representation dropping in a national representation, great stats on the GMAT and,
0: yeah. and,
1: and so on and so forth. The, the, the way to maintain that, if your app volume is down, is going to reduce your class size, right? So I'm suspecting that like every other school that we've covered, I don't think there's an exception. Um, every other school that we've covered app volume is down.
0: Yeah, it seems that way, and I yeah I haven't I haven't checked in with every yeah. admissions director to see, but I I think so far it feels like yeah kind of down across the board.
1: GMAC recently released a report, and they said uh, you know more than fifty percent of schools are reporting at volume is down. I suppose that's correct if it's hundred percent reporting, that is more than fifty percent.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Although I think some of the issue is that the GMAC survey probably covers the entire university no, no, MBA sure. programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a broad but yeah. Um, so, all right. So yeah, just interesting to see. And I I don't know, I mean, I, part of me also, I I did wonder whether COVID played a role in some of those bigger numbers or, or yeah, again, I did not hear them saying we're trying to move our class down as a strategic thing. So I think it is, you're right in response and actually to go from 484 to 408 is almost exactly a 16% reduction in the size of the class, which, you know, dovetails exactly with the de- decline in, in application volume that we've been seeing. So right. it could be that. Yeah. I'll have to ask them next time I catch up with MIT. And
1: any thoughts this for this season so far, Graham, from what you've heard?
0: I have not, you know what? I have not heard. I'm, I'm hoping to um, head over to the States in November and catch up with a bunch of schools. So I may know more then, but it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard any admissions officers calling me saying, you know, we're, you know, through the roof with numbers this year. I'm right. definitely sensing that it's not great, that it's kind of, you know, flat to down.
1: I, I, I think the quietness of, the, of, of that suggests to me that the app volume might
0: be down yet again. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So, uh, Let's see, before we get into the candidates, I did have a couple of housekeeping things. One is that we have our deferred enrollment event, which is happening on November 16th, a Wednesday at noon Eastern. I'm going to be emceeing that, and I'm sitting down with admissions folks from Wharton, Columbia, MIT, UVA, Tepper, Yale, Berkeley, and Chicago Booth. And you can sign up for the event by going to bit.ly forward slash defer MBA, And this is for college, you know, juniors, seniors who are thinking about applying to these programs and deferring, um, you know, via their deferred enrollment um, offering. And so that means, you know, you get your seat locked up and then you go work for a couple of years and and then you join an MBA program. Seems like a sweet deal to me. We still need reviews of the podcast. If you get a chance, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We do have a ton of ratings now on Spotify. I think we have like 60 or 70 ratings and we have a five-star um, uh, tally there. So that's really cool. You can also always email Alex and I by just writing to info at clearadmit.com and using the subject line wiretaps. Uh, Alex, should we get into this week's candidates?
1: Let's kick on.
0: All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So this is uh, an apply wire entry that you've selected, Alex. And this is a candidate who wants to start next fall they're applying to six schools, and those schools are Columbia, Duke, Harvard, Kellogg, Wharton, and UVA Darden. Um, they'd love to work in consulting, and ideally at, at a Bain, BCG, or McKinsey. Their GRE score is a 324. Their GPA is a 3.14, so somewhat low, although they mentioned that they attended um, a, I guess a service academy, because this is a military candidate, and that they were, I think they were cum laude or, or did quite well. Um, so. I'm, I'm, I guess we need to find out more about that, because 3.1 you wouldn't think of as being towards the top of the class, but maybe there's a really um, you know, strict kind of grading policy. They have nine years of work experience and are basically 31 years old at this point. They're based in Georgia, they'd love to stay in the southeast or the southwest of the United States after business school, and you had a, quite a bit of dialogue with this candidate, and, and they gave us some updates in terms of like where they'd interview, and I guess they've already interviewed at Kellogg and Duke. Um, as well as UVA. And they also indicated that, unfortunately, they'd been rejected at Harvard and Wharton in the first round and are still waiting to hear from Columbia. So I'll stop there and let you speak to kind of their background. They, they give us a lot of details on work experience and things. But what do you make of this candidate? And what should they do? I mean, they've got two rejections staring them in the face from top schools, and they're sort of still waiting on the others. But any thoughts on what, you know, what, what should they do?
1: Well, they should apply to Amory. I mean, we just (laughs) talked about 165,000 starting salary, 55% go into consulting, which is what they want to do. Um sixty six percent East. want to be in the south. That's where they want to be. So <laughs> Yeah, that's
0: possible, yeah.
1: Um so I mean, sort of joking aside, certainly Amory would, would be a, an interesting opportunity. I think definitely on the safety side, not not to dismiss Amory, I think it's an outstanding programme. But there's gonna be I, I still believe there's a lot, lot of opportunity for this candidate. So they've gotten some bad news at Harvard and Wharton, um which which is, is gonna be a bit of a gut check, no doubt. Um but but I think um, you know they've got what looks like a, a really strong military career, and, and typically business schools like military um, candidates for the leadership and the experiences that they've had, um, and their goals and plans and going to consulting and all of that does make sense. So I think if if you if you're not successful, Harvard and Wharton. Um, doesn't mean to say you won't be successful either at other M seven programmes. Um so so there's you know, four four you know, four or five others that I would consider in that bracket, certainly and and you know, they're in the running at Kellogg. And then that top sixteen um uh, group, um, of which they've you know, they got an interview invited Darden. Um they, they yeah. also interviewed at Duke, I think they they um qualified for that um interview, you know. Open interviews. Yeah, open yeah. interview. Um, so, you know, in terms of thinking ahead to a round two strategy, um, you know, they will base their decision on round two on on the, the end of the results for round one. Um, so they could certainly have an, a, a positive response from Kellogg, um, perhaps also Duke and Darden, and decide should they then go into round two and target a couple of other M7 or go with Kellogg or do Duke and Darden? Or if they do blank out, I still think they need to be targeting more that top 16 M7 and maybe, again, add, adding Emery to it, to the mix, given that sort of regional focus yeah. um, and their focus on consulting. So, I, I mean, the point is, Graham, early in the process, you can get a couple of um, negative um, signals, no doubt. And that can be disheartening. Um, But I I still think there's a lot to like here. You know, that GPA, you say, is a little bit low, uh, potentially. I mean, less grade inflation, probably where they went. They also have a master's at a 4.0. They also took MBA math. I mean, these were some of the things that I was suggesting to them. And they're like, well, I've already done that. I've done that. So, at the end of the day, I think they've done everything that they can. Um, so it's a question of just making sure that, you know, the the applications themselves have been well developed. But but I, I think just just waiting and, and and seeing what yields in this round one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's yeah, this is kind of the don't panic yet. You yeah. know, I mean obviously a lot of people don't make the cut at Harvard and Wharton this is a 31 year old, um, the GPA is a 3.14. And so, it, you know, th- there could be just some issues there that give, you know, gave the very top kind of programs pause, but I don't think that that's going to, you know, be what happens with these other programs that they've applied to. I, I suspect they're going to, you know, get into at least one of the ones um, that are on their list that they're waiting for word um, from. So we'll see, but I do agree, you know, if they don't, if for some reason it doesn't work out and they don't get it anywhere, I absolutely agree with you. You know, the, the likes of UNC, which they had on their list, and Emory would be smart, I mean, given that they're targeting the Southeast. I mean, they could look at a UT Austin as well. But I, I just feel like, you know, like you're saying, there could also be some other programs. And, I, you know, geography aside, you know, there's Ross. There, there are other schools yeah. out there um, that send people that are, you know, maybe a notch above some of the other um schools they'd had on their list that are, you know, for round two. So we'll see. I'm confident they're going to get good news in round one from one of these programs. Yeah. But if, it, if they don't, I would, I totally agree with you. They should not only look at Emory and UNC, but maybe another one or two in that S7 range. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, wish them the best of luck. Yeah, I want to thank them for their service. And also they left us a really nice note. They said, um, I've been diligently listening to the podcast for the last year and listened to episodes going back further than that. It's been hugely helpful as I work through the application process, and I've recommended to everyone I talk to that's looking to apply to an MBA program, thanks for what you do. So I really appreciate them saying that, and and obviously, you know, they're going back listening to the archives. I presume they discovered we'd done a special kind of military episode with Anna Ivey, who helps with... Um, service to school. So, and in any event, it's really great to hear that they've been enjoying the show and I want to thank them for sharing their profile and yeah, hopefully they get good news and will keep us posted as we go here. Very good. All right, let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another applywire entry and again, a candidate targeting this fall. They've got 10 schools on their list. Those schools are Berkeley, Tuck, Duke, INSEAD LBS, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, Penn, and Yale. And this person works, they've been working as a test operations manager for mechanical development of products for a Fortune 150 manufacturing company. That might be the most specific job description we've ever had in a flywire entry. Um, they'd love to get into consulting, but they definitely have this kind of automotive and aerospace kind of bent to what they want to do. So, you know, in the short term, it's Bain, BCG, McKinsey, um, maybe PwC that they have on the list, but they mentioned that they're really interested in the mobility field, if I remember correctly from reading, the, reading their um, file here. They've got a 740 on the GMAT. They have an eight out of 10 uh, from undergrad, which was pursued in India However, this is a candidate um, that now lives in the U.S., and the reason they live in the U.S. is because they went to a top five public university to get a master's degree, where they had a 3.96 out of four, Um, and uh, they will have five years of work experience upon matriculation to business school. They do indicate that they started out as kind of an engineer in their work, but they've grown into an operations role with a couple of promotions and that they're leading a team of 30 workers now. Uh, they have a bunch of extracurriculars as well. They think that they want to be in the U.S. after business school, but they're open to Europe or Singapore or even India, and that's probably why they've got LBS and INSEAD on the list. Uh, I'll kind of stop there. They, they have a, I mean, there's a bit of a long story here in that they applied last year as well, and they were waitlisted at four programs. And so they've come back this year. They're applying in round one, and they're kind of a waiting word, I think, is where we kind of sit now. But Alex, you went back and forth with them with some comments. So what do you make of their situation and, and their kind of chances this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think their chances look pretty good to me. They the, Obviously, they're super smart, um, wicked smart, we could say. 740 GMAT, <laughs> um, strong undergrad, very strong um, graduate GPA. Um, they've sort of progressed in their work experience from from highly technical, more operations and so on and so forth. They do some stuff outside of work. They've got that U.S. experience on top of their India experience. Um, and what's key to me is they've targeted schools in round one, um, and coming back as a reapplicant and as a reapplicant who was on the wait list um, at several schools all the way through to the summer. Um, so basically, they didn't quite make the cut last season. Um, they've come back this season in into round one for, for for most of their target schools, they've they've or at least they tell us that there's improvement in their life experience and their professional experience and so on and so forth. Um, they got an interview invite at Ross. Um, they others again were open interviews um, and so forth. The likes of Kellogg and so forth. So there's. All things point to that they've set themselves up for success um, in in round one. Um, you know, they, they'll have a bit of a strategy for round two. That's always going to be a little bit more difficult because no matter which way they cut it, they are going to be an overrepresented candidate in the pool, mm-hmm. India heritage, highly technical sort of operations experience, et cetera, et cetera. So I think round one is where the action's really going to be, in, in, in you know, in terms of hopefully some positive um, outcome. Um, so I feel good about that. They did have some specific questions about, yes. you know, do, do we think there's an uptick in international India apps and apps overall? I mean, we had that quick question earlier. Have we heard anything? We haven't heard anything yet from schools. I believe because it's been so silent, the app volume might well be down again um, in round one, but that's complete speculation on my part. And we wouldn't know if it's increased at all within the India pool.
0: Yeah, although my from I have had some conversations with schools where they've suggested that the Indian market has come back strong post COVID and that they're, they have no shortage of candidates from India. So I don't know if that means that that's growing or it's stable, but I don't think that market's down in the way that the domestic market in the U.S. is down. Right. Um, but but yeah, so I would not say this is, I think it's a good time to be an applicant because volume is, you know, probably flat to down. But if you're Indian, it's still really competitive, I would argue.
1: That could, could well be the case. Um but again, when when we're advising folks from India, overrepresented, I just always assume it's overly competitive. So all yes. the advice takes in that sort of context, um, rather than all of a sudden um, is that pool has dropped. So so um, be that as it may, um, I you know obviously we'll know this candidate will know more in in in, in a month or yeah you know, early December in terms of when those results come out. Um, they're looking at potentially a round two strategy, which will be more difficult. Um, there's no doubt about that. In my mind, it's a round two over, over-represented um, candidate. Um, so so round two, they, they sort of ask, should they get a little bit more aggressive, Hass, Herbert, Wharton, Booth, or sort of ease back and, and maybe some European schools too. And a lot of the answer to that will be, what happened in round one because yeah. if they if they get admitted to Kellogg let's say and, and 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 a couple of others, then be aggressive in round two, shoot for the moon and see what see what 's there right, but if not, then certainly and i I made a couple of suggestions in terms of you know um, a couple of European schools, maybe potentially um, um, imperial in terms of the u s maybe schools like um, Tepper um, and, 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 Duke garden and so on and so forth. So yeah, that was a little bit of my advice.
0: Yeah. I think it's really hard to tell them where to apply until they find out. Yeah. How things are going with the round one applications and they'll know, you know, before they have to submit, right. I guess for them, they're trying to, it is tricky because they obviously would want to start working on these applications. I, yeah, it's, I don't think they, they do mention, should they look at, um, the national university of Singapore or the ISB as kind of safety schools? I'm less Convinced that they're going to need to look at those. And so I, I mean I do think an INCAT or an LBS would like their profile. They've got, you know, some US education, US work experience. They're, you know, everything kind of lines up. Um, and and so, you know, they could always look at those programs in, in yeah. the kind of second round. I also think it would be less of an issue that they're in the second round in those programs, but we'll we'll see. Um, I I'm I'm confident that I think they mentioned, right, they applied to uh what is it, Ross, Yale, MIT. And talk in the first round this year, and they've interviewed, and and so that you know, I, I'm hoping they're going to make the cut at one of those four. That's my view. I mean,
1: obviously, when they listen to this, they'll they'll know if they got an interview invite at Sloan because um, that that yeah, decision that went, rolled yeah. out um, last week on Thursday.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we'll find out. Um, in any event, yeah, I they also did say, and now I'm going <laughs> to. I remember what I did with their, they, they mentioned to us that they're a long time listener of the show. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that something will, will turn out for them this year, especially because they have that experience of, you know, second time around and stuff. So we, we shall see. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. All right. So let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this is an interesting apply wire entry that you've selected, Alex, because this candidate is targeting fall of 23. So they're applying now. Uh, and they only have one school on their list, and that school is Stanford. They worked in investment banking for a couple of years and then moved to a hybrid investing business development role in the video game space. They would love to stay in that space after business school. They've got a 740 on the GMAT and a 3.5 GPA, got five years of work experience. They mentioned they're a white male and that they moved from that iBanking role into the video game industry um, where they were hired at the largest, um, a very large, sorry, video game conglomerate. And they love this space and they want to stay in this industry forever is what they say. Um, and so they want to use the MBA to kind of transition to a kind of PM type role, uh, and you know, to understand how the products are, are being made. And then eventually they'd love to start their own game studio in the long term. Now, they say that they applied to the GSB because they feel that they could accomplish their goals, um, you know, without an MBA. But that having an MBA from Stanford would just be, um, you know, obviously (laughs) help them to get there a lot faster and give them value in in other ways, too. Um, So they got an interview at Stanford. They applied in round one. And they, um, I guess, so they're waiting that outcome they're sort of curious to know you know what happens if they don't get in they're kind of worried that it may not make sense for them to do an MBA anywhere else and the point they make is they're thinking that you know other schools are not as good about placing people in this segment of the economy the kind of video gaming space online gaming all that stuff so I don't yeah I don't know if you have a point of view on that and what you think they should do because they I think they were sort of asking like should I apply somewhere in round two if I don't get in and yeah, so it's a little bit complicated. And, you know, I have a point of view on this, but I'm curious to know yours.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, hopefully they, they, they don't have to uh, worry about this and, and they get into Stanford <laughs> and, and, you know, you know it, it, it all works out well. Right. The, the question is, what happens if they don't? Um, I would certainly um, look at round two and look at Harvard and Wharton, um, at least maybe even Sloan and Kellogg. Um, as, as opportunities. Um, and, you know, I think the, the refrain a little bit from a candidate like this is, is just the networks within online gaming are not as well developed for any other program other than Stanford. I think that's basically what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to debate that because I don't really know that um, specifically. It is quite a small industry, but it's a growth industry for sure. Um, you know, online gaming, there's 1.5 billion online gamers in the world right now, Graham, right? That's like 20% of the population. It's heavily mm-hmm. tilted to Generation Z. So that yeah. number's only going to grow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think Wharton would be a, a, a very interesting option. And you've got the, the they've, they've got a campus over in San Francisco that they can spend time at. And for any industry you're interested in, I don't care. Harvard's always going to be a great option. There are going to be, um, you know, leaders at Harvard ultimately in the industry and and tangentially related industries. So if you're in the online gaming industry, you're going to be you know needing to finance stuff and etc cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So anyway, my point is, I would target. Only Harvard and Wharton in round two, possibly. Maybe consider Sloan and, and Kellogg. Mm-hmm. Um, and come back the following season, if, if you blank out at the very top. I certainly wouldn't go too deep into the tiers. Um, but, but certainly I think there's other opportunity for a candidate like this, but hopefully this whole conversation is mute anyway and and they get
0: into Stanford. Yeah. I hope they get into Stanford too, but I I do want to point out, they they mentioned that they thought Harvard wouldn't like them because their profile screams Stanford. And I would argue that I I don't think Harvard looks at it that way at all. I mean, they would see this profile and say, well, it's interesting. You know, the person did banking, then they moved into kind of the video game sector Um, They really enjoy that. They want to focus on that. Harvard sends a ton of people to the West Coast um, to work in all kinds of domains, including tech and stuff. So I I don't think Harvard would say, oh, you know, we're not interested in this person because their profile looks too Stanford-y. That's not happening. So I, I, yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) And you make a great point. The number of alums coming out of Harvard to the West Coast is probably behind Stanford, Anderson and Haas, it might even be more than Haas, yeah. just because of the sheer size, size yeah. of the Harvard class. Right. So if you, if you look at pure numbers rather than percentages, Harvard
0: has a lot of alumni on the West Coast. Yeah, I would actually encourage this person to try to connect with someone in the Harvard Alumni Club in you know, the Bay yeah. Area or something, and just talk to them about like, what, what goes on. Because as you correctly point out, if they want to start their own game studio, um, you know, they're gonna need to raise money, And I I mean, I w I wouldn't mind having a Harvard MBA on my resume if I was trying to raise money, um, or a Wharton MBA, which, you know, it's, it's useful. (laughs) So, um, so in any event, I would encourage them to, yeah, look at those two programs specifically, they could spend a semester at Wharton West if they went to Wharton. Yeah, there are a lot of ways they can, um, learn what they need to learn to be a successful business person, tap into an amazing network. Um, at any of those three schools. Right. So, and, and maybe even beyond, right. I mean, you talked about Stanford and Kellogg, both have excellent placements in tech. So I, yeah, I'm, again, hopefully it's moot and they'll just get into Stanford and they'll be done. But if they get a rejection from Stanford or a wait list, I would absolutely throw my hat in the ring at some of these other top programs. And I think they would land on their feet, you know, coming out of any of those other programs too. So that that's my advice. Yeah,
1: I think absolutely spot on.
0: All right, excellent. So, Alex, we've done it. Um, we got through all of our, <laughs> all of our content this week. Three great candidates that you've selected uh, with interesting kind of quandaries and and lots of discussion. You know, throughout this episode about application volume and what does it mean and and so on. But we'll see. I mean, only time will tell. Uh, <laughs> um, but thanks for picking out these candidates, and we'll do it all again in one week's time.
1: Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Take care.